I'm just a regular guy from a small island in the Mediterranean Sea who just loves to experience new things, meet new people. Um, but so going back to what I said before, who I am is just a person with a camera, with a lot of curiosity and a bit too much energy sometimes, I feel. Andrew. Hello. <laughs> welcome to the Unbrand Me podcast. What Thank is the Unbrand Me podcast? We believe a brand wagon, that better people make better brands and better brands make a better world. Working with you on the Nila Juice 100 Mile Swim Challenge led me to think and led me to believe that you are one of those great people who's changing the world for the better. So to be honest, when you came back, I saw what you were doing on your 27th birthday, that challenge that Sean put to you. I saw something about you and the stories that you were unfolding every day that I said, this guy has to be part of the Unbrandman podcast. You're different to all the other guests that we've had. And because of that diversity, I think it's even more important to hear your story. So once again, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here. Obviously, like you mentioned, we met on the Nila Juice Swim and from the moment that we kind of connected, I felt something magical over there. So it's an honor for me to be invited onto your podcast and for you to say that I'm a very different guest. So it means you see something, call it well, a diamond in the rough yeah, maybe, well, but uh, you never know. Eh, I think there's definitely more than just a diamond in the rough. So Andrew, let's get started. Um, I asked you just before we started, like, how do you define yourself? Because every podcast guest that we have, you know, they typically are, are put into a box, into a story, into a title, into a founder, entrepreneur, CEO, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you're at an amazing point in your life. You're at the tipping point of what's to come. And if I had to ask you right now, what's your job title? What do you do? I think there's a really interesting line, which I want you to tell me. So how I define my job title at the moment is I'm just a curious person with a camera. So what do I mean by that? I'm currently, like you observed, at a transitional stage in my life where I don't really know which way it is going to take me. But I know that as long as I keep my curiosity and I keep my camera with me, then I will be happy. And that is surely one thing which I have learned over the past, I don't know how many years I've been working, is that as long as I am curious and I have my means to capture that curiosity, then I will be happy kind of thing. I think it's a great way to define it. And obviously I'm not gonna leave you at that. I'm gonna go mm -hmm. back in time and see also what got you here today. But before I ask that question, I think what's more important is Andrew Mechia, who do you say you are? Who, do who is Andrew Mechia? It's a very tricky question. Um, but who I am, it's okay. So like I said before, a curious person with a camera, but I'm much more than that because I'm not just a curious person with a camera. I'd like to say that throughout my life, because there's who I have been and who I am and who I want to be, but who I currently am at the moment is I'm just trying to live my life and appreciate the fact that I am living my life and appreciate the opportunities that I have in front of me, but at the same time, making good use out of what I have and out of what I've learned and out of what I can do. Who I am as a person, I'm just a regular guy from a small island in the Mediterranean Sea who just loves to experience new things, meet new people. Um, but so going back to what I said before, who I am is just a person with a camera with a lot of curiosity and a bit too much energy sometimes, I feel. Uh, well, I mean, the energy I think is important with the amount of stuff that you pack into your day and, and you pack into a week. I think that energy is, is yes, 100% it, it required. Yes, it helps a lot. Um, it was great, you know, doing this sort of comparison between 
you when you were when we were on the boat you know relentless non-stop always that energy and and me clearly showing that i'm on the good side of 40 <laughs> and starting to chill out and say oi i need i need a gap i need i need to chill for a minute here but at the same started. time i feel like we balance each other out very well and it was the kind of yin and yang who went together a bit too well kind of things was like an atomic bomb you put us together poof, explosion yeah, but in true. a very good way for sure we'll tap into that in a few yes. moments so you're number three Family of kids. Ah, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm the youngest yeah, out you're of the three youngest boys. In three. And, yeah. and growing up, how was that? I mean, who was Andrew Mitchell? Are you num- you're the last one. You said that there's a big stock difference between your brothers and yourself. Yeah. And how did that shape the way? So where did it all start? How did you get into cameras? How did you get into, <laughs> into video, photography? Where, where, where did it all start? What was the moment that, um, that so brought it's actually, you into this? It's, it's very interesting that like you asked that because growing up, I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what I was. I knew that I was different um, and I could feel that I was different. So both within my family and with my friends at school, I felt like something was off, you can call it. There was something different where all the other boys were talking about football and FIFA and pushing and fighting each other. I was always a bit like on the sidelines, observing, looking, drawing, doodling. And um, even at home, like whilst both of my brothers were very always reading their books, always being well behaved and doing things, I was always the one causing trouble and causing problems at home. Now that I've grown up and now that I'm older, it all makes sense. But as I was growing up, I was always living in this, like, why am I so different to other people? And it was only when I was around like 14, 15 years old, did this start to make sense. So I vividly remember that I used to be at school and I would find it impossible to concentrate. Okay. Always fidgeting, always moving around, always causing problems, throwing pencils at my friends, like just doing the stuff you shouldn't do. Um, and the only way that I could concentrate was if I was doodling, always doodling. And back then I was a straight A student with anything mathematical because numbers run in the family. So maths, computing, physics, they all came super easy to me. So I thought that I was just going to become an accountant and live the nine to five life. But it didn't really excite me kind of thing. I was good at it, but it wasn't very exciting. But I started to realize that the only way that I could concentrate was if I was doodling. And one fine day I said, you know what, I'm going to do that and I'm going to try to do it in a systematic way and I'm going to try to make this doodle look nice. And all of a sudden I made this doodle, which I actually have hung up on my wall at home now. Amazing. And this doodle for me is like the realization moment. Okay. Um, and from that moment on, I, w- I was like, could it be that maybe I'm a creative person? And at this point, I still didn't know that this was the explanation for a lot of the other things in my life previously. But I started to explore my creativity. I took art lessons at school and I found it quite therapeutic, if that makes any sense. But once again, I felt like I didn't fit in because everyone else was drawing still lifes and portraits, the perfect portrait, the perfect still life. And I was always thinking, how am I going to cheat to not do this? Because I didn't like doing it. I liked expressing myself, but I didn't like doing what they wanted me to do. Um, so this rebellion was always there. There was always a bit inside of me that wanted to be different. I wanted to do things different until one fine day, my brother bought a camera, a Canon 400D back then. And um, he was taking photos and I picked it up and I started taking photos with it too. And then when back then we'd have like outings with school, pajama day and did like you get your camera and take photos. And there was always, there were always two people with the camera. There was Emma Tronter. And there was me. She had her Nikon and I had my Canon. (laughs) 
And at around the same time as I was drawing and doodling, I got into graphic design. Um, so what I liked about graphic design was that I could cheat. So I don't need to draw the face of the person in front of me. I can just get a photo of you, um, take it through Photoshop, and all of a sudden I have an illustration of your face, whatever. Um, but one fine day, Emma Tronter like, reached out to me and she was like, hey, and listen, I have a job which I need to do at a club and I can't do it. She was like, do you want to do it for me? And at this point, I had no intention of becoming a photographer. And I'm very How old were you then? I must have been 17 because I was just about old enough to go to the club because Emma <laughs> is born at the beginning of the year and I'm born in September. Okay. So I still remember I, I, I was just about the age to go into a club and I was like, you know what? I'll take it on because why not? And I still remember like I spent like two days watching every YouTube tutorial, like how to take nightlife photography, how to whatever, just the usual yeah, yeah, stuff that, that you would look, um, look up. And I ended up going to this job, looking back now, thinking about the gear that I took with me to do that job, I'm like, <laughs> but I somehow managed and Emma somehow liked the photos. I, I actually sometimes look back at that album and I impress myself when I look back at that album, considering the equipment I had, to say the least. Um, but no, then she kind of started to feed me work and you can say that Emma like birthed me into the professional world of creativity. At the same time, I, I was going to Scouts and I had a friend at Scouts was a leader of mine at Scouts who was also into graphic design and doodling and he had seen some of my doodles and he had encouraged me to do more of them. He's actually still working in the creative field right now. Amazing. Um, and um, he had started kind of pushing me to get into graphic design. So at that stage, it started. The graphic design mixed with photography. And I feel like the nightlife industry just found me and kind of ate me up, which for me was quite a good thing because I enjoy partying and I enjoyed being around people. And I think if, if I mean, when I look at the, your photography on, of your nightlife photography, I think there's the way you manage to capture people's emotions and the way you manage to capture that moment, which is fleeting, because obviously at night it's even worse because mm -hmm. obviously things are moving, things are happening fast, people are dancing, people are enjoying themselves. To even see the space, to even see that moment and then to be able to capture it, I think it takes a lot of talent, but also timing and then that creative you know, look, which is at night, everything looks different. So I think there's something about that as well. So is it just about the fact that you like to capture night photography because you enjoy the nightlife or is it because you like to capture stuff which is completely different than everybody else's? Um, so no, like for me, I never made a conscious decision. I want to become a nightlife photographer. I was always, when it comes to photography, I always separate it into two types of photographers. Okay. There's the artistic photographer and there's the journalistic photographer. An artistic photographer shoots campaigns, lookbooks, food photography, everything's perfect, everything's how it should be. And then you have the journalistic photographer who goes and shoots as it is, how it is, what it is. I am like completely the journalistic side of work. Um, so for me, being in a nightlife environment, what I liked the most about it was that people drop their guard. Yeah they are not expecting you to take a photo of them. And I actually realized this when I shine my camera at them and they see that I'm gonna take a photo, they change, they change their appearance. And all of a sudden I'm no longer documenting what's really there. I'm documenting this image of them that they want to portray. Mm -hmm. So then with time I developed the style which you observe, the style of everyone caught in the moment, genuine actions and reactions. And that was, I learned how to shoot without looking through my viewfinder 
So I developed this style where I'd be walking around the club with the camera up above my head like this. And I'd make eye contact with you. And if I like what you're doing, by the time that you even recognize that I'm the photographer, photos taken. Wow. So it's, I mean, again, the journalistic is, is all about telling a story. Mm -hmm. And when you tell a story of a video, it's one thing because you can actually create that narrative. But looking at one photo, and I suppose more than just that is like, nobody knows except that person what that person is going through. But it's up to everybody and the viewer to tell the story in their own minds of what could be happening over there. Yeah. And I think it's up to you to see how you can capture that and you can get that across. And I think that's that's really interesting. So, okay, so you got into into the into the photography, into the nightlife photography, and then what? Is that so you were doing freelance gigs and... Yeah, so basically what happened there, with time Emma moved away from Malta, I continued working in Malta. She, I was lucky enough that she passed on quite a lot of work, but also at the same time I was finding my own work. Mm -hmm. And I ended up reaching a stage in my career where I was doing a bit too much of it. Like, it reached a point where I'd have like three jobs on the same night, every night kind of thing. Not every night, even midweek, but we all know Malta as like yeah. this parting hotspot. When you're 18 years old and you're partying all the time for free and you're always staying out late, it's not a very healthy lifestyle. And I, I was living a bit of a duality. So I was living Monday to Friday, going to the gym, eating healthy, looking after my body and my health. And on the weekend, staying out late, drinking a bit too much, always in that environment. It was a bit of a duality. So I decided, you know what, it's time to shift. Um, at around the same time, I somehow got into video, probably through my love for music, when I realized that video is, when you look at it, it's just a lot of photos mixed with sound. Yeah. So I'm a very big believer that creatives, if we, are, if we have creativity within us, it could be with anything. It could be with sound, with image, with textile, with taste. Um, I can talk so much about that, but I'm going to avoid talking about that. I mean, um, I think it's an interesting angle, to be fair, but we can get into it later. It's a very interesting angle. And just one thing that I want to say going back, like, which I've just had this realization now when I said with taste, was when I was younger, one of my biggest, my favorite things to do would be to wake up early and prepare breakfast for my family. And when you think about that, that is showing the creativity from a very yeah. early age kind of thing. But when I, I discovered video, when I realized, say... I discovered video when I realized how it's like photo mixed with sound. And when I realized you could tell so much more of a story because you're playing with so many more senses. I'm no longer presenting just one image of one moment. You can think about the timing, the rhythm, the music. Um, there's so, so much that goes into it. And then I just fell in love with video. So at around the same time when I started to play around with video and explore like the world of video, I was looking for a job because I was graduating from uni at this point. And um, I went for an interview to join the marketing team at one of the big four. I don't know what I was even thinking, signing up to join wow. the marketing team at one of the big four. But there was this guy sat across the table interviewing me, um, Mr. Chris, Chris Peragine. And I didn't end up getting the job, but Chris had reached out to me after and he was like, hey, listen, I have this exciting project <laughs> that I'm working on and I think you'd be the perfect fit for it. And I was like, well, then let's go for a coffee. I, I, um, I've always been the kind of guy, well, then let's go for a coffee. I don't like to, and especially when it's an exciting opportunity. Well, you keep pushing me to buy you a beer, but I keep giving you coffee anyway. Yes. Sorry about that. Pete owes me a coffee. By, uh, well, <laughs> Pete owes me a beer I for don't. anyone listening. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to keep this beer pending just so that we always have a reason yeah, to meet. Um, 
Chris had, we had gone for a coffee and he had explained this brand he wanted to start, which was called Love in Malta. When I first heard it, I was like, Love in Malta, is this like some dating site? <laughs> but then he explained the concept behind it and I was instantly sold. It sounded like something which I would love to do. So um, we then started to work together. This was when he was still establishing the brand. And we actually, Chris made me realize how I love creating with a purpose. For me, it's not just creating to create nice work, to create pretty work. I like creating impact with the work that I'm doing. I also realized this while I was at uni because I had some assignments which made me create impactful work. That's a whole other story which we'll get into some other day. Um, but through spending a lot of time with Chris, I learned a lot. The best way to describe it is I got like a crash course in marketing from the guy to learn marketing from. Well, to be fair, Loving Malta at the time of its inception was probably one of Malta's strongest, fastest growing powerhouses yes. of marketing meets storytelling meets, meets journalism. journalism in a very, very different way. I think they were probably one of the first, if not the first, to really jump on telling stories through social media and then leaning them onto the onto the platform, which was Loving Malta. And I think that was a very exciting time, not just for... Um, for loving, but also for Malta and, and the media story. And this is also why everything in the world is blowing up in terms of content creation, influencer marketing, social media marketing, and you know storytelling. So I think that's like you were there in terms of timing, right at the in the right place at the right time. Yeah, like I feel like that me going to the interview and meeting Chris there was meant to happen. Someone scripted it. I, I don't know who scripted it, um, but it was meant to happen and. It was the perfect timing, like you said, because this is when this kind of marketing was becoming a thing. This is when TV and radio were slowly, slowly starting to lose the importance. All of a sudden, social media coming much more important. And what I did at Love & Malta was I, I was originally there to be the content creator, the video guy, the photo guy. But with time, um, Chris kind of saw something in me in the way I was connecting brands to the content and making the advert work in the content in a hidden way. So then he ended up giving me quite an important role in the business, but I was still young, I was still 18. So no, I wasn't leaving uni at this point. I was about yeah. to start uni, I hadn't even started uni. But at that point I was 18 and he offered me quite an important job. Um, but at that point it didn't feel right and I felt like it would take away from me progressing on video and me doing more video. So looking back now, should I have done it? Should I not have done it? We'll never know, but I'm glad yeah. that I did. But I quit. Unfortunately, I told him, Chris, I appreciate the opportunity, but I feel like it's not the right time for me. I was still very young and I felt like I still had a lot more to learn. And I ended up going to uni and I ended up studying BFA in digital arts. Oh, wow. Um, and um, at the same time, I took a job with EC, the language school, to be their, their videographer, their full-time videographer. And I loved it. It made that me fall in love. That must great fun. Great fun, like living the student life, having fun promoting Malta. And for me, it was like, at this point, I realized, okay, I love video. I love telling stories, but I love creating content with a purpose. I went through all of my uni degree. I did all, all of that. And we can just fast forward now to this point to I think when COVID hit. Yeah. Because so so where were you just before COVID hit? So just before so, COVID so, hit. So like December twenty nineteen. What's what's Andrew doing with his life? So December twenty nineteen, I would say that I was like 
50% nightlife okay. and 50% working on client stuff, but never really doing... Freelance still? or Freelance, least, freelance. Okay, freelance. But never really working on anything that I felt was going to change the world. Mm. I felt like I was wasting myself. Um, I felt like, yes, okay, I, I was waking up, going to my shoots, doing my jobs, clients were happy, but ultimately... You, you were 25 then, no? I was 24. Really Four? bad. 24. 24 then. Um, but I never felt like the work that I was doing was creating an impact on anyone. And I was desperately looking for like a way out of the nightlife scene because the nightlife scene, it's a bit addicting. Um, because once you do reach that kind of level, it's like you don't need to look for work. The work just comes to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I was upping my rates, upping my rates, but still getting work. So it, was, it wouldn't have been the right thing to turn down. So luckily COVID came and just shut it all down. <laughs> One of the first people I've met who said, luckily COVID came and shut well, all my business down. Unfortunately, well, well, yes, I mean. unfortunately, COVID had a lot of negative impact on the world. A lot of people, unfortunately, went through a lot of tough times. But for me, I looked at it as an opportunity to reset. Um, being all of a sudden stripped of all of the work that you're doing and all of a sudden you need to rebuild yourself and reestablish yourself. I had a couple of like restaurant clients I was working on. I worked with the food blog guys for a while. But I was still looking, like still thinking, what's it going to be? Missing? I, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. Just like many people did in COVID, I turned to fitness. So I was jogging, exercising. I explored my creativity. So I learned how to produce music. I was DJing a lot. Until one fine day, I get a phone call. And it's a phone call from a good friend of mine who was also a client of mine back then, Adam. And he was like, I have this idea, which I'm working on with a friend. And we want to create a fitness community, but we need a content creator. And I feel like you're the perfect guy. At this point, I told him, tell me no more and let's go for a coffee. We went for a coffee. They sold me the dream of this fitness community that they wanted to create. Could you have even gone for a coffee? This is May. We went for a walk, actually. Yeah, we went for a walk do. on the Slima Promenade down by the rocks where now there's the outdoor gym. Oh, wow. Yep. Symbolic, actually, that's outdoor is. gym. It is symbolic. And anyways, they, they explained the vision of the... Don't forget to speak sorry, to Mike. Sorry, Because I'm usually with a lapel, so first time <laughs> on a podcast. We'll, we'll upgrade for you next time. They explained the vision to me, and it kind of felt like this is pure serendipity. This is meant to be. This is the right time. We started working on Bulletproof, and we started so to... So for those who don't know what Bulletproof is, can you just let people know what Bulletproof was then and what yeah. it's become? So basically, Bulletproof is a fitness community with... The motto we used to have back then was to motivate, educate, and inspire. Um, so the goal we had back then was to make fitness attractive, make fitness fun, make fitness sexy, make fitness something you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, I don't know about most people today, but back then fitness was the kind of thing when you think fitness, you think sweating, you think burning calories on a treadmill and you think standing on a weighing scale, uh, weighing yourself. We wanted to make it fun. We wanted to make it community-based. We wanted to throw events where we're working out. It feels like we're at a club, but we're all having fun together. We're surrounded by fit people. We wanted to promote healthy living, which for me was like, okay, this is perfect because it's a way out of the nightlife scene. But at the same time, it's still fun. It's still young and it's still me. And we started working super hard, like around the clock. So, 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 so like nonstop working towards building this brand. And within the space of three to four months, we filmed, I don't know how much content, but we had all the content for the year ready. And we launched the brand. Wow. On... 1st July. 1st July 2021. No, 2020. 2020. On 1st July 2020. And 
for the first time in my life, I got people messaging me, telling me, wow, well done. The content which you're creating has inspired me to work out. The content you're creating has inspired me to start living healthier, do this and do that. And for the first time in my life, I felt fulfilled by what I was doing. I felt like- Andrew, I want to stop you. Yes. First July, 2020, or July, 2020, and all of 2020 from March onwards, COVID really destroyed my business. Mm -hmm. So Brandwagon was in a great place pre-2020. We are going to open up offices in Lisbon. We had a plan to open up our first studio over there. You know, the team had grown. The business was in a super place. March comes, COVID hits. Our business went really, really down. And whilst we were trying to keep the business afloat and whilst we were trying to keep the business going and find ways of staying alive, literally just, you know, floating, sports was the one thing that kept me moving forward. So yes. I had great support from, from family, from friends and our colleagues and employees at Brandwagen. But sport was the one place where I could really look and work on within. And I do remember when the first videos of Bulletproof came out. And I must say it, and I'm just saying it now to you and, and to the other Bulletproof guys, that that was a really important moment for the sporting community and also a place to inspire when the whole world was in the shit. I think those bulletproof videos that started to come out were more than just sports videos. They were inspiration, they were motivation, and yes, they were education. And it was great to see people's stories coming out in a way that has never been told before. And it, not only in terms of what messages, but also the way they were coming out. And I think so. Kudos to you and the, and the bulletproof team for that. So just wanted to. No, thank you thank for you. that. And I'm sure that obviously, if anyone does remember at that time, we need to always keep in mind the context, which yeah. you rightly said, fitness was the one thing which I think helped carry a lot of people through COVID. Um, probably right time, right place, right combination of things. Um, and myself with my two partners back then, I feel like we worked in perfect synergy together. Um, and I'm very glad to hear that you did feel an impact from those videos because we gave it our role. Like we poured everything we had into it. And it reflects itself in the brand that they are they have today. Um, so we then built this brand and we had a goal to create a fitness community to inspire, educate, and motivate people. And we succeeded, I think, we, we way past our expectations of what we were expecting to get out of the brand. Um, yeah, but and so Bulletproof grew. And, and Bulletproof and grew. And that exposed you to so many other different things. So Bulletproof became more than just a storytelling channel it became a channel to for people to connect for brands to connect with audiences to develop these challenges you you personally invited the minister of transport to a bike ride Dear i just want to minister <laughs> i would like to invite you for a bike ride yeah. just to see how bad and how dangerous and how and I, I remember seeing that video as well so bulletproof you know kept on growing the community kept on growing the team grew as well and then at some point in time we decided that it's time Yep. So, so like you, like you rightly said, at Bulletproof, we did a lot of things where we challenged and where we inspired. And it really kind of made me realize the power of content and the power of media, which is a very, very powerful tool. But um, at around the same time, as we were building all of this and the team was growing and the, what started out as a passion project between three friends became a big operation, the creative inside of me started to feel like all of a sudden, as much as I am able to be creative because this is my own brand, I felt like I'm suddenly responsible for something much, much, much bigger than me. 
And I started to feel a bit like, with time, this is going to take away from me and my creativity. It's not going to lead into me having more creative opportunities. And I took a step back and I looked at the brand and I said, okay, this brand is more than stable enough as it is. We've built something we're very proud of and we surpass our expectations. So I said, maybe it might be time to move on and to see what's next because I'm always looking for what is next. Um, and one fine day, I had a chat with my partners. I explained all of this to them and we decided, okay, time to go our separate ways. So they are still doing a very good job with the brand and so kudos to them. But that was like an opportunity for me to literally jump into the dark sea and not know what comes next. And and that's a great segue, I think, no? Because jumping into the dark sea is how you find yourself on the one of the boats with Nila Juice, right? Yeah, so jumping into the dark sea was very scary because from literally giving up everything that I had built to start this brand, to then start the brand and start a very successful brand and then jump off into the sea and swim without even knowing where I'm swimming towards. But I just knew that, you know, I know how to swim, so I'll be fine swimming. It's like, once again, I feel like the world, someone was writing a script, call it serendipity, call it fate, call it whatever you wanna call it, but the greater good decided to send opportunities my way. And I feel like, this was around eight months ago now that all of this happened. And I feel like everything I've done in these past eight months has been like, I wouldn't have been able to plan it if you had asked me, what do you want to do in these next eight months? But now looking back at the eight months, I'm thinking like, wow, I've done so much. And it's all does start from the Nila Juice swim. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just remind people what happened with the Nila Juice swim. So, um, in, in May, I think it was, or in sometime in yeah February, yeah, but I think it was about May. Nila Juice announces that he's going to attempt a hundred mile swim, which is basically the longest open water, um, current neutral ocean swim, um, basically circumventing, um, leaving Palma de Mallorca, circumventing Ibiza, and coming back to the shores in, in Ibiza. And he was going to break his own world record. He was going to break his own world record. So the plan was about 72 hours, as far as I remember, 72 hours of non-stop unassisted swimming. And the guy for the job to record the whole project and to capture this moment, to document history and to document what was going on was basically Monsieur Andrew. What Andrew didn't know at the time was that I was the guy who was actually responsible for all the content and all the comms. And when Neil told me, listen, there's this guy, Andrew, you don't know him. He was part of the Bulletproof team. He's no longer the Bulletproof team. Um, he's going to be the guy who's going to be capturing everything. And this was replacing one of my best friends and, um, you know, Mark. not only Mark, because Mark was always going to be there, but that, there was actually going to be Keta Rigo on ah, the Kurt show Rigo, as well, yeah, sorry. Who, who was present on every single Neil Juice swim. I was like, okay, great. Let's see who this guy's going to be. And so you turn up. We don't even meet on the flight we meet the next day because you couldn't make it to fly out with us i think you had some other shoot in london i as was in far london as I know. yeah you were in london and I, you traveled with a backpack and i think I, we met like late at night yeah we, we met you at, we the, met restaurant. at the indian restaurant yes <laughs> that's another story for another day so i just rock up with my hat on thinking like okay let's see what's gonna happen and within what within 24 hours less within about i think yeah about within about 18 hours we had to set sail and start documenting everything. And so very, very quickly, you and I had to come up with a plan. Yeah. And the plan was basically, 
you know, creating a content plan to make sure that everybody out there knew exactly what was happening, knew exactly which parts of the swim need was in, how the nutrition was doing, capture the moments, capture the energy on the boats, capture the, you know, retell the story and obviously document the good, the bad, and unfortunately the ugly, which is exactly what happened. And um, for those who maybe aren't aware, unfortunately, Neil had to terminate the swim, um, you know, way before it, he was supposed to because he swam into um, a whole swarm of jellyfish. I was there on the boat. It was a soup of jellyfish. You were there on the boat as well. And it was a terrible time. Um, I was on the other boat when it happened, actually, because I had just left you the had boat just next left. to him. You had just left the boat. But obviously you were there. You remember seeing all that action. In fact, the 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 video of Neil coming up is actually shot <laughs> on my iPhone on because iPhone. because but you put the edit together and the best photo from the whole trip is a blurry out of focus photo from your iPhone. Yeah, well, that was that was luck. But it teaches us a lot about the power of photography. It's not how good's the photo. It's yeah. what does it communicate? And and I think it's getting that story and message across. So this was the very first time that you had been on any crazy expedition with Neil, as far as I know, right? Yeah. And obviously you were there from, if you trace back your story from capturing, you know, people enjoying their nightlife and, and enjoying a, a whole, you know, maybe cocktail of alcohol, jumping into capturing sort of sports at its finest and at its fittest, but in a very sort of effectively controlled, controlled environment. I mean, there, there were a couple of those trail runs that I've seen, but, but it was typically a controlled environment to being out there, exposed, mother nature, a team of people, some of which were pros, a bunch of which were pirates, mm. all coming together for a specific cause. You yeah. know exactly who I'm talking about. I know about. exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> and big love to all that team. Yes. How does that change everything? And how did that impact you and your life right now? So I'd say I learned three main lessons from the Neil Swim. And these three lessons are kind of lessons which I wasn't even looking to learn, but they're lessons which I learned without planning to. So the first one was when Neil kind of called me up and asked me to take on the job, he was adamant. He was like, Drew, it has to be you, it has to be you, it has to be you. And he was like, I'm very careful who I bring onto the team and it needs to be you. And at first I couldn't really understand what he meant by that. But when we found ourselves on the boat, barely, barely sleeping, literally using every skill or knowledge I've learned from my time at uni, my time at Love and Malta, my time as a journalistic photographer, my time at Bulletproof creating content on the fly, I then understood what Neil meant by that. So the first thing that I learned was like how important it is that all of the skills that we learn in our life, they will all, always come back to help us out at a later stage in our life. The second thing which I learned from that swim is that there's a certain feeling when you are wanted for yourself and not because I need a videographer who's the first videographer that I can find. Okay, I'm going to get the cheapest one with the best looking portfolio. When all of a sudden clients want you for you, it's a very, call it an ego kind of thing. But as a creative, I feel that the ego is what powers us and pushes us to do better work. So when all of a sudden people are booking you because they want you, and especially me coming fresh out of Bulletproof and for me to feel wanted for myself. It felt very, very magical. And the third thing that I learned is how whenever there's a team and whenever you have different people coming from a different background, like you, like you rightly said, some were professionals and some were pirates, is that mixture of people that when the mixture is perfect, it's like we're making a, a soup over here. You can't put a lot of tomatoes and no salt, and you can't put a lot of salt and no tomatoes if you're making a tomato soup. So 
It's very important to have the right people for the right job. And what I liked the most about the team we had there is that everyone knew what they were doing, when they were doing and how they were doing. When there was a job to get done, we shut up and, and we got it done. The second the job was done, we were going back to banter, saying jokes, laughing at each other on the boat. And I'm going to add a fourth bonus lesson that I learned from this swim. I was thrown into a situation with people I had never met before in my life. People who maybe I knew your name from seeing the brand wagon stuff. Neil was the only person who I knew, but ultimately Neil was <laughs> in the sea. Um, and it, it made me realize how in life sometimes going into these, these things, not knowing who we're going to be put with, but just hoping for the best and just letting things happen, it often leads to good genuine connections. And I'd, I'd like to say that every person who was on the, on the boat, part of the crew of that swim, became a good friend of mine. And you being one of them, like we, we didn't spend a lot of time together, but the time we spent together, the best way to put it is we went to war together. We weren't shooting guns, we were shooting cameras, but... Yeah, it did feel, it did feel like going to war together. That's, that that's, that's comradeship, you know? Like yeah. I still remember when Neil stopped swimming, it must have been around half two, three in the morning, and you're like airdropping me the, the videos and we're discussing, okay, what's the best way to communicate this with the world? And you wanted to put out a press release. And I looked at you and I'm like, I was like, but Pete, what if we have a video by the time everyone wakes up? <laughs> Three in the morning, have it slept. And somehow made it work. And I feel we communicated that story very, very well together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think what's interesting is also the, you mentioned at the very beginning, this whole yin yang of experience and, and maybe you know, kind of old dog and a new dog, new tricks using sort of the storytelling, but also coming up with the new ways of working. And I think that creative element that you brought to the table and this effectively sort of, you know, big batteries of energy just ready to tell the message in the best way possible. I think that was really, really interesting. And I think also, you know, if we had to look back on that and I think just, you know, sharing the lessons of where you you know, where you went, where you came from and, and, and how you got here. I think there's a really interesting story of one, keeping open to opportunity. And I think that is something which is you're a testament to. So the fact that you've hardly ever said no and you've always been ready for the next opportunity, but you've always been ready because you went through life accumulating all the experiences that you got and taking those opportunities and learning from each and every one of them. I think it's interesting to see how you've now moved away from the Loving Motor brand into the Bulletproof brand and now creating Andrew Mechia as your own personal brand. Yeah. And I think your personal brand, we talk about personal branding in, in our industry because it's obviously the sexy thing to do, but it's also, and it's something that we can build for, but effectively it is always about reputation. And reputation comes from that hard work that you put in. It comes from, from putting the hours in, from being ready to, to sweat it and being ready to fail so long as you can chase you know, what makes you feel alive. And I think that's that's clearly really interesting. And talking about being alive and talking about birthdays, you've just been sent on a crazy challenge for your 27th birthday, yes. right? Tell us a bit about that challenge because I, I really want to pick on that and, and pick the lessons, but also pick the learnings. Okay, so, before, so, so before we get into that, I just want to sidetrack yeah. and pick up on something you said about how I always said yes to opportunities. At the same time, it's very important that I knew when to say no and I knew how to say no. So looking back, had I said yes to Chris's offer and stayed at Love and Malta, I'd probably still be there right now. I'd probably be driving a very nice car right now and I'd probably be living a very good life, 
would I have experienced everything that I've experienced and would I have done everything that I've done? Probably not. I'd have done different things. So I'm not saying that it would have been the right choice or the wrong choice, but it's very important to say yes to opportunity, I feel, and to be curious about opportunity, but at the same time, know when it's the right time or not the right time. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really, really important lesson mm-hmm. because sometimes the more you say no, the closer you get to those yeses, which are important. Yeah. And knowing what works for you and who you are, or what you're ready to take in, but also when, when your gut says it's not the right thing to be, to do, and it's not the right you know, character to fit into, I think that's really important. So yeah, words of wisdom, Andrew. Yeah, you just have to say truth to yourself. Always. So no, um, let's, let's go and talk about now this crazy 30-day challenge. So 20, you, you turned 27, but you got 30 days of challenges, thanks to our friend Sean. So yeah, basically, um, when I left Bulletproof and when I started to work freelance, I had this influx of work, creative work coming my way and my creativity was flying, like literally. But I started to miss being on content and I started to miss being the main character of my own story kind of thing. And, and I was always creating work for other people, creating work for brands, documenting Neil's story, documenting that story, that story, but never really living my own and documenting my own. So. As my 27th birthday was approaching, I was feeling this this weight on me that like, listen, I'm only getting older. Am I gonna live my life telling other people's story or am I gonna start writing my own story? At around the same time, I was having lots of creative chats with Sean about like, what comes next, what comes next, what comes next? Sean had something he was working on. So Sean had this very exciting brand called Waggos he was working on. It's a dog brand. And um, at the same time, I was thinking like, the only thing that I have is myself and the only thing that I have is me, but I miss that side of me because I've been scared to, I had no brand. To explore it. I had no brand at this point. And it's interesting because you talk about brand and personal branding. At this point, I had no personal brand. People were still seeing me out and saying, Arata Bulletproof, Arata Bulletproof. And I'm like, "Ah, that's no longer me anymore, but what am I now? And... I felt like I needed something. So as my birthday was approaching, I tried to reflect like, what have I learned this past year? What have I been through that's taught me things? And I kind of realized that, okay, I'm about to turn 27. I'm only getting older. I'm at a stage in my life where at least I'm no longer 18 years old and wasting my money on all of the rubbish that I don't need. I'm a bit more financially stable at this point. And I came to a realization that I currently have no commitments. I have no one waiting for me, so I have my family. But other than that, there's no team relying on me. There's no boss who I need to answer their emails. I I was free. So around three months before my birthday, I decided, you know what? I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm just gonna block off 30 days from my birthday onwards. And those 30 days, I'm gonna dedicate them to me. One fine day, I bump into Sean at the gym and I'm like, yo, let's go for a swim after. And we start talking, talking, talking. And we, I don't know how we even came up with it, but we were joking about how he's the kind of person who likes to have everything planned. And I'm the kind of person, drop me anywhere you want in the world with my camera and I'll be fine. And at that moment, it's like a light bulb turned on. And we looked at each other and it's like we knew what each other was thinking. And I look at him and I'm like, Did I really just say that? And we decided that we're gonna play a game. And for 30 days, starting from my birthday, 
I gave him my passport details. I transferred him a budget to cover flights and deposits for hostels. And I told him, Sean, I don't want to know where you're sending me, what you're going to make me do. I just want you to send me anywhere you want in the world. I want you to challenge me. I want you to push me out of my comfort zone. Gratefully, Sean said yes, because it would not have been possible without him. And luckily, I did have a Sean. So <laughs> everybody needs a Sean. Everyone yeah. needs a Sean. So the best way to describe Sean is you have Batman and you have Bruce, the guy at home with the computers. If Bruce tells Batman to go, Batman goes kind of thing. And this is the perfect way to describe it. I've known Sean all of my life. We've been best friends all of our life. And he knows what I am and I'm not capable of, but he also knows how to push me out of my comfort zone. Nice. So well luckily done, I had that person who I can trust. But yes. Um, so you went, how many countries did you visit? You went to Portugal, Morocco, Bulgaria, Amsterdam, Belgium. Did I miss one? France? Italy, France. Italy? So I'll have to go chronologically. Yeah. So the challenge, so the challenge started in Amsterdam yep. um, and it took me from Amsterdam to Belgium, then went to France. Then from France, we went to Morocco, then Portugal. Bulgaria. Bulgaria, Italy, Malta. So not that Gozo. many countries. Malta, Gozo, if we're going to count Gozo. We should count of course Gozo. We should. It deserves to be counted. I, so I also went to the Vatican. Ooh. So yeah, you can add that in. State. That's another state. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, what was interesting about it and like the main thing which I liked the most about this challenge was growing up, I always had this like thing, this like obsession with how much fun would it be going to an airport not knowing where you're going. <laughs> and now I've gotten a bit too much <laughs> of that. We all, we, all, uh, we all think about that. No? Yeah, we all, I think, romanticize the idea. How many of us idea. do it? So. Yeah, but no one does it. So that was like, as my birthday was approaching, that was the realization that I had. I am only getting older. If I'm ever going to do something like this, I have to do it now. So yeah, we, we just, I sent him the money. I gave him my passport details. Andrew, I want to tell you to cut the crap about this age thing and you're only getting older. You're only 27. You're way far away from your midlife crisis. So chill out for now. But I think I want to pick on a couple of things. Um, and I'm not saying that just because, you know, I'm 43 and, and, and there's obviously, but you have, you're so far away from getting older, you're just in your prime. I think what I wanted to focus on is this, that you started off saying like, at the moment, I'm just a curious guy with a camera. Surely going around these seven, eight different, you know, states that you've visited, countries, places, locations, doing all these, these different crazy challenges from surfing to staying in the worst hostel probably in Europe. Um, you must have learned so much about yourself and you must have created your own internal life principles and your life lessons, which I think you blog about, right? On, your, on, mm -hmm. on the actual videos that, that you've shared. Who is Andrew now? What are the lessons that you've learned by doing all this crazy stuff and just turning up at airports not knowing where you, are, where you were going? What is the most amazing thing you learned about yourself? The most amazing thing that I learned about myself is that my biggest asset is myself. And as long as we are comfortable with ourselves, then we don't really need much more in the world. Um, I'd say kind of being pushed out of your comfort zone and being placed. So one thing about me, which I don't think you even know, is that growing up, I was always very scared of being alone. I hated the thought of being alone. Even when I got my first apartment, I didn't want to move in until I had a friend who was like ready to live with wow. me kind of thing. Like the thought of just being in a building alone, terrified. I don't know if it's because of my ADHD. I don't know if it's like an anxiety thing, but I just couldn't stand the, the thought of being alone. Even more so the thought of being alone in a country that I know nothing about. 
Um, so the one main thing that this kind of taught me is that the world isn't really as much of a scary place as we think it is. And as long as we kind of know what we are and are not capable and comfortable of doing, then we will be able to get by. I mean, clearly you did stuff which made you uncomfortable. Uh, quite a and few things. That obviously made you realize how much more resilient, how much stronger you are. And obviously the fear of the unknown of what it means to actually be alone for a while. Check. Yeah. Done. I actually liked it a bit too much. If I can be perfectly honest with you, I fell in love with Ooh. the feeling of being alone. And like, there were days where like, okay, you do get lonely, but you're always around people at the end of the day. You know, if you're staying at hostels, you'll always make a friend somewhere. I think there's a big difference between being lonely and being and bored. Being, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because I think solitude is, is as exciting to some people as it is painful to others. Yeah, but I think there's a difference between also being alone in your thoughts and feeling like there's nobody else out there in the world or just being physically away from everybody else who you care about, but it's just a physical state as opposed to a, a reality. Yep, so a good example of this could be, um, I'm, I'm going to give you two examples of different scenarios that I was in. So my first challenge was I had to cycle for four days from Amsterdam all the way to Belgium. It was meant to be to France, but that's another story. And when I was cycling, I was alone. I was in the middle of nowhere, just me and my bike, music playing in my headphones. And that I loved. No one to distract me, no one to bug me, no one to talk to me. I wasn't bored because I was moving, yeah, I was doing, doing something. But I was alone. Something which I thought, if when I was 18, you told me you're gonna be cycling across Belgium by yourself with a bag on your back, I'd have told you not me, not at all. But I loved it. I loved it. The thoughts, the reflections, it's like it's like an eight hour long meditation with a lot of protein bars in the middle <laughs> this um, obsession with protein bars has got to stop yes that. it has got to stop big time um but then i'm gonna give you a completely different scenario i was in porto and i went to the beach it was on a sunday i was alone once again but everywhere around me all i saw were groups of friends having fun with each other talking drinking chilling throwing a ball around in both moments i was alone in the moment on the beach, I was surrounded by people. In the moment on the bike, I was completely alone. I felt so lonely when I was at the beach. Because you were missing your friends, you were missing Because I was you're seeing missing, yeah. all of that happening around me and at that moment I was missing. So, but at that moment in time, I, I discovered something is and I learned another lesson that sometimes this contrast of emotions, this completely alone to missing people to then meeting a friend all of these contrasts i think are a very healthy thing to feel because if we don't feel the lows then we'll never be able to enjoy the highs yeah and you start to learn like okay maybe the reason i'm feeling lonely right now is because i'm seeing other people around me having fun with with their friends but when i was on the bike and i was alone i was perfectly fine with that so it's all about putting it into perspective and trying to understand where that feeling is coming from and I, I think it's interesting to see the self-awareness because us as humans, I think it's really important sometimes to not just stick with the feeling that we have, but to try and understand why we're we feeling the way we're feeling and why we're we going in that down that route and, and down this rabbit hole sometimes. That's totally outside my line of expertise. So I'm going to go and reverse quickly back into the branding side of the mm -hmm. world. It's interesting to see you dip your toes in the content creation and the content creator type of slash influencer personal brand yet you as a creative i think will always be keen on telling the story a story whatever that story is going to be how excited are you about continuing 
to generate more content and becoming that content creator and more of those challenges and more of those reels as opposed to continuing to find great stories to tell. So I'm very excited to find a way to tell my own story and to make my story the story which I tell. But at the same time, I know that that takes a lot of time and I need to come up with things which people are excited to watch. But one thing that I've promised myself and one thing that I will always keep on promising myself is that if I'm going to be a creator, a content creator, I don't like to use the term influencer because... Yeah, but you. I'm a content creator and the kind of content that I create is real content. I show the good and I show the bad. Um, there was World Mental Health Day a, a week ago now probably and, and I said, you know what? Everyone's posting about raising awareness but I want to actually share my own experience about my mental health problems which I've suffered through in the past. And just from posting that, I got so many people reaching out and they were telling me like, this is the one thing that I needed to hear today. Thank you so much. And it's really made me feel good. Like, uh, like I said before, when I feel like the work I do impacts people, it makes me happy. Now, this wasn't work that I did. I was just sharing my experience, but I still left a good impact on people. And I, I, I came to a realization that maybe we just need more people on social media who show the vulnerable side of life, you know, like we all know that life is not always good and like it's very cliche, you know, the highs and the lows. But I feel that the one thing that I want to do more of is telling the true stories the way that they are. So just like a journalistic photographer would do when they get deployed to do a job, but I'm doing it on myself through my learnings in life. That being said, because you asked me how excited I am to tell other people's stories, it depends on what the story is because I've reached a stage now in my life and in my career where I have learned to say no. And whenever opportunities come my way, I always get very excited to look into them. But if I don't feel like it's the right thing for me, then I'm not going to do it. At the moment, I am focusing on working on my own brand, but my own brand is ultimately myself. So it's quite interesting because I want to reach a space in the world, in the creative world for myself, where my brand is me and I am my brand kind of thing. Fantastic. There's so many other questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to stop now because I think it's also the great place to stop because I think it's interesting to see where you want to go. I think it's really interesting and I'd love to have you back on this podcast in a couple of maybe years time to just to see, you know, to, to reflect back on what we said today and, and, and where that took you. I think it's beautiful to talk about, you know, that going out there with true honesty, but portraying it in, in a great creative way because I think it's not just about saying the stuff which is real but it's also saying it in a way that it lands. Yeah. And it's not just about the message, but it's also the way we communicate it. And unfortunately, many crap messages get communicated in a great way and they land, and many good messages don't get communicated well and never land. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see what you can do with that. And, and I'm confident that you'll do it really, really well. Um, just before we turn this off, there's a question which I have to ask you. Okay. You're creating a film about your life? And you have to choose a soundtrack to your to the movie. What's the soundtrack to your life? One song. One song. It, it depends on what parts of the movie. Andrew, one song. One song. Okay. Pick it. Trailer. Let's go. Trailer. I. I uh, now it's the trailer song. So now we need trailer energy in the song. Okay. Ah. It's going to be Fred again, and it's going to be a song called "Better with Time." Nice. Do you know the song? I have no clue. You should listen to it. I will, absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. We need to go for that beer one I day. Know, we do. <laughs>